Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, every week I just really appreciate the fact that you're joining us. I'm getting some notes from people who are listening. I'd love to hear from you what's going on, what's happening, how SOS has impacted your life in a positive way. Maybe there was a guest that really you connected with and their story and their information and it and it's helping to transform you. And, oh, as a podcast host, really never know exactly who's been listening to it. You get some download numbers. So first of all, thank you for being a listener. I just want to encourage you if you have just if you can do it, uh, much appreciated. If you can leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is, that is very much appreciated. It seems all these platforms, they want to have reviews before they rank you high in the search engine. So that's much appreciated. The other thing I just want to encourage, today's guest, Mario is awesome. Mario is a younger entrepreneur who has been very, very successful, and he's normally a very private individual, but his staff are getting him to get out there a little bit more to connect with the marketplace. So as you know, a young person in his 20s built his first multi-million dollar company within 24 months of launching it right after university. So listen to his story as he goes through his journey. The other thing that Mario talks about in the middle of the show that I just want to affirm here is he talks about this journey of continuing to get to know himself around self-awareness. In one of the expertise or areas that CRG as good as just about anybody else in the world is helping you with your self-awareness with all the tools and resources and assessments we have from personality, personal style, or self-worth, or values, or wellness, or leadership skills, or learning style. My encouragement is, is that if you're wanting to develop and grow deeper in your own self-worth, your own self-awareness, your own capabilities, then maybe consider some of the tools that we have available at crgleader.com. In the meantime, enjoy the conversation that I have with Mario. Here I am in Vancouver. Mario is late at night in Dubai, who had just flown in from Romania. So welcome to the world of business and young entrepreneurs. Thank you for listening. Here's your interview. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today is a special day because we have somebody who is chiming in all the way from Dubai. Now, his home is California, though he never spends any time there recently as a successful entrepreneur. And he has an amazing story for what I'm going to call a young person because he's half my age. So welcome to the show, Mario Lawful. Nawful. So how do I, so you are lawful, but Nawful is the right way to say it, right, Mario? Well, that's correct. I'm lawful as well. I, I want to stress that point. Nice to meet you, Ken. Well, Mario, you have uh, an amazing history for a young person, and I'm just saying that because I have kids that are just a couple of years younger than you are. And so, first of all, uh, Mario, we were just talking off air about sort of your roots, and we'll get into your amazing sort of entrepreneurial journey and success story here in a moment. 
But you said that you were uh, born in the Middle East, so um, just tell us about that. Sure, I was born in, in Lebanon, uh, Beirut, Lebanon, and I left when I was a kid, I think eight, nine years old. And my mother took me to Australia, where most of her family is located, and I've spent most of my life in, in Australia. Well, what part of Australia did you uh, move to? Down south in Melbourne. So I've spent most of my time there, as well as a small uh, town four, four hours away called Albury. So Albury in Melbourne is where I spent most of my time. And then I left Australia about six, five years ago, and I've been traveling since. I've been traveling for five years. Well, uh, interesting. I just came back from Australia, and I've been to Aubrey Wodonga. Everybody knows oh, nice. who that is. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wow. Uh, now, that was before you were born. That was 1985, but I was in Melbourne just a couple of months ago with my wife as we traveled the east coast of Australia. We love the country, and so enjoyed it. And Melbourne has really grown up a lot, Mary, in the last 20 years. I wasn't there that long ago, but I've heard that it's just changed dramatically. It's a very interesting country, a very different country, very far away from everything. Mm. I'm starting to miss it. Well, well, there, <laughs> it is far away from everybody. Uh, that's true, but it is uh, beautiful, and we just enjoyed our time there. So, Mary, well, quite the story about your mom getting you out of Lebanon. So how was she able to do that? Uh, her family, so my mom's side, they've all left Lebanon <coughs> during the war, and uh, that made it easier to come to Australia to get the, um, the required paperwork. I've never really asked her about it, but I, I think it wasn't that complicated. Mm. And what does your mom do? She currently works in one of my companies. Back then she was, <coughs> back then she was a, um, a salesperson, so I got my sales techniques from my mother. Okay, so you're growing up in Australia. What was that like? Interesting, you know, it takes, I don't remember a lot of it, so <clears throat> my memory, sorry about my voice there, Ken. Uh, my memory isn't great about Australia. I'm just going to get a quick glass of water. Sure. Um, but I do remember it was a bit, it was difficult to assimilate. I spoke English and I came from a French school, so I spoke French and English. Um, from memory, it was tough in the early stages, but then when you get into high school, things get smoother. And then, you know, I, w I was a workaholic, so I was always doing something to make an extra dollar here and there. I was mm. selling chocolates door to door. I was you know, selling uh, CDs. I was just trying anything I can to be able to, you know, to, to to call myself an entrepreneur. What was what do you think was motivating you at that time? And, and how was your mom as a parent with you around that? That's a good question. Again, memory is a bit vague. I do know that, I'm not sure what motivated me. I have no idea, to be honest. I know that my mom was very supportive, always has been. Um, but the, the, the path for me was the traditional path. I, you know, I didn't know that what entrepreneurship was. And I was simply you know, studying, doing my homework. That's what was expected from me. And then when I got into university, I wanted to finish uni and then get a job, and then hopefully get the wealth I was aiming for. Mm. And again, so your memory is uh, getting closer to recall now, Mario. It is. <laughs> is uh, you, in university, what did you take? Did you take business or? Banking and finance. By, and so again, when you were choosing your direction university, because a lot of people listening to this, you know, their kids or themselves, they're trying to, figure out their life direction. What was driving your directions or helping you to decide what you wanted to do? 
That's a good question. Very good question. Um, you, you always hear everyone tells you, you know, do what you enjoy, do what you, you know, what makes you happy. Um, for me, banking and finance, I, I wanted to achieve wealth. At a young age, that's all I focused on. For now, I don't really care about wealth. When you get older, it becomes less and less important. Um, but I thought banking and finance was the easiest way to get to that to that end goal. Um, so I didn't follow the path of doing what you love, which is what everyone recommends. So I can't speak from experience, but thinking about it, that would be my recommendation. Do something you enjoy and success will follow. You can be successful at pretty much anything. Because um, I didn't enjoy banking and finance. It wasn't bad, but um, it, it didn't fulfill me as entrepreneurship, for example. Mm. So initially, if, if, and by the way, correct me, Mario, if I get some of these sort of summaries incorrectly, uh, but you saw banking and finance as a way to achieve this primary goal of establish, um, establishing some monetary independence or monetary freedom. Is that correct? Correct, yes. And so that was more important than maybe I love this space. I think so. Back then, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Back then, I, I didn't really think about what I enjoyed doing. Um, it was purely you know, my, my only motivator. If you ask me what motivated me, I think it was just success. Um, yeah, my memory is vague, as I said, but I think it was just purely achieving that level of success. That image you have in your mind of where you want to be in X amount of years. Mm, mm, okay. So I imagine so, myself traveling the world, meeting those bankers, signing the, you know, those documents. I had that image of a, of a successful banker. Um, so that's so what, what, switched, I, what switched you? you were, you're in university, you're taking banking, and now all of a sudden you're moving towards this sort of entrepreneurial side. Where, where was there a tipping point? Was there an event that occurred in your life that caused you to shift gears? This is where my memory gets better. So I uh, watched a, a video on YouTube of a little boy called Farah Gray, I think it was. He was 14 years old and made his first million dollars. Um, I was just fascinated. I, th I was, I think, 22, 23 at the time, and I thought I was too young to achieve success. I said, you know, it's too early. You got to learn. I was studying 24/7. But then, when I saw someone, uh, you know, eight years younger than me, make a million dollars, I realized that I'm not too young. And I, I looked into it further, and I realized there's many other younger people uh, achieving success uh, at a young age. So I immediately dropped out of university and. Um, tried to find the first job, which was knocking on doors, commission only. Hmm. And what generated you to kind of go in that direction, knocking on doors? I mean, there's lots of choices, lots of things you could have done. So hmm. That was the first job. That, yeah, I, I'm very impatient. I still am. So I applied for a few jobs. The first job, the first person to say, yes, come meet me and start work, that was it. So I said, come meet me. I went and met the person. His name was Bill. And on the same day, he gave me a few flyers, told me about the product, talked about it for 10 minutes and say, you know, go out there and start knocking on doors. And I was very, you know, I, I was a very private person, so I could never imagine myself knocking on doors. I was very, very uncomfortable. But when, uh, when I started getting those clients, um, the confidence kicked in pretty quickly. Well, when you think about door-to-door -door sales, you know, and most of the people listening to this show are probably in the developed world. That has got to be one of the most intimidating 
businesses or roles to have. So how, how did you overcome? So here I'm a, this private guy. I don't like to kind of put myself out there, yet you did one of the most intimidating roles out there. How, how did you do that? Fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah, I wish I could get back into my, you know, my mindset back then, what pushed me to do that. But I think just watching, remembering that video of that boy that achieved success at such a young age really drove me. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I was just feeling a bit annoyed that I'm, here I am studying 24-7. You can even say I'm late to the game, entrepreneurship at age 23, 24. So that was my, um, my thought process back then. And um, when you start, you know, the best way to get started with something is to just dive in um, and, and start doing it. So as soon as I started knocking on those doors, um, somehow just get, you just get more and more comfortable at it. It takes time, but every time you knock on another door, it gets that much easier. Mm. Well, I think, Mario, one of the things you're, for our listeners, you know, so SOS listeners, one of the things you want to do is have inspiring stories. And so what you're saying is, is somebody else's story inspired you to start your own. And the other thing that you've just really recommended is, you know what, no matter what, Taking action is better than just thinking about it, no matter what the case is. I think so, yes. I think uh, the story of that boy achieving success kind of was a tipping point that my mindset at the time was not right. That I need to go to university, I need to graduate, then I need to get a job and, and start getting a good salary and build it over time. So when I realized that this mindset was flawed, that's what really drove me. And, and when I decide to do something, I do go all in, and that goes to your second point. Just dive in and start doing it. Whatever it is you want to do, just get started. That's the first thing you need to do. Knock on that door. Go interview that person. Go to that interview or start writing that blog. Start doing that vlog. Whatever it is that you want to do. When you start doing it, even if no one watches your vlog, at least you're doing it. And, and you're taking that first step, which is the most difficult step. Mm. And that's something what happened to me back then. Well, now here you are, you're door to door. So just so the listeners know, you were selling blenders door to door. Is that correct? Eventually, yes. Initially, I was selling even worse water filters. You know those uh, the water coolers in an office. I was right. renting those out at ten Australian dollars uh, per week. Now, so this was commercial. You were doing B to sort of B to B, B to business B. to start with. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then how did that first part go? Renting water water coolers. <laughs> Surprisingly well, um, it was not bad revenue for a university student. Uh, so I even started hiring other people to knock on doors from universities. I had a team of about eight people, all of them, all of them were commission only, and um, yeah, it worked. It worked well. I'm still don't understand how it worked, but it did. So well, obviously really there was a need in the marketplace, and you were fulfilling it. And you did the one thing nobody else was willing to do. You were willing to go out there and have a conversation. So for those of you listening, sometimes you know overcoming the fear, the best way to do it is just get moving and start uh, realizing some success. Now, from there, you transition from selling sort of this rental of water coolers, which we're familiar with. What did you do next? Um, I started finding the next product, so moving to the next thing to continue to grow. And I realized that I'm good at knocking on doors and leading a team to do the same thing. So that was my strength. And um, my, my goal was to find more products to add to the mix, to the system I've created. 
So I've added coffee machines, which I couldn't make any money on. And I've added, uh, I think I tried LED lights. I'm not sure if I eventually tried to sell it, but that didn't work. And then I started the concept of Fruity, which is one of my uh, companies at the moment. And the concept there was going to a cafe and offering them frozen yogurts and frozen fruits uh, on a subscription model to be able to make smoothies. We give them the recipe, we give them yogurt, frozen yogurt in tubes so they don't have to use a scoop. And they just put that, put these ingredients in the, in the, in the jug of a blender and, and make a smoothie. So that was the concept that I had back then. And that led to what is now Fruity. Uh, well, and then you've grown that to over 10 million in sales now? By the second year it reached that level. Uh, I don't discuss revenue uh, at this stage. But it did get to $10 million, over $10 million by the second year. But that was, the concept completely changed. So I pivoted. So from providing the ingredients to a cafe to make a smoothie, I saw a need for a high-end blender at a good price. And I sourced a blender and started selling that door-to-door and then started selling it on eBay and then launched my website. So one thing led to another, constantly following, in, 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 as it, uh, what movie, I can't remember the movie's name, follow the money. So wherever the money was, I doubled down on it. So I would try all these different products, all these different strategies. When one works, so I throw a few pebbles. When one hits, I go with the cannon and then go all out with the blender on eBay and then after that with the website. And, wow. Um, well, congratulations, Mary, on all that success. Now, what would you say to the individuals out there to encourage them in these steps? What, what are some things that you've learned through this journey for other people that are out there both, you know, some of our employees, some of them own businesses, but what are some of the, the principles of life, even at your young age, that you've learned from this process and this journey? Mm. Um, when you say principles of life, do you want me to focus on uh, on the business side of things and achieve? And, you know, doesn't matter. Finding, Mario, whatever whatever you mm. think is most important for um, our listeners. It could I'm be trying both. to think. I'm trying to see how I could offer the most value. One thing that worked, we mentioned already about um, you know just jumping in, whatever it is you want to do, just go in and start doing it. It might not work. Most things won't work. I've tried many things before I, I launched Fruity. Just start doing them, start testing them. However, when it works, when you start seeing results, that's always been my strategy in business. When something works, double down on it. So when blenders were selling, I went all out with blenders. And I kind of reduced my work with, uh, with all the other products I was selling. So that would be one key principle that I follow today. I try different businesses. If you look, I've got many companies. I've tried many. When one works, I, I put all my focus there and you know, scale it as much as I can until you reach the point of um, diminishing return. Well, in the principle of marketing, you know, this whole concept of testing, we're finding out what phraseology might even work, you know, split pages, these kinds of things. That's what you're doing with your businesses. Same exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Now, split when testing you think different ideas, split testing different concepts, different strategies, and then when one works, uh, you just go all in. Now, just so you know, Mario, you're not normal, meaning this is not, <laughs> and I say that the highest level of respect. What I mean by that is that your level of success, your level of intensity isn't the norm out there. So, and I've asked this question a couple times already, but let me do it a third time. And that is, where do you get this drive? 
Where does that come from? What is, what is internally moting, motivating you today, this very moment? What drives you? Mm. Um, you know, when I hear this question or similar questions being asked uh, to, to, um, to people, they always try to find an answer, just to, to try to guess what the answer is. Oh, for me, I'm still trying to figure it out. There's many things that I do to maintain this drive. Um, it's a matter, I think, I'm not sure if this will help, but I'll try, Ken. It's understanding yourself, so understanding what drives you, and then making sure those needs are fulfilled. So if you're someone that needs to have, to be in a relationship, you hate being alone, make sure you're in a relationship, make sure that area of your life is ticked. If you're someone that likes stability, make sure you have that stability. Try to tick those boxes, so then you can focus on what it is that you want to do. Um, that's what drives me on a day-to-day -day basis. And I've got all these, all these little things in order so I can wake up and focus on business, have that drive, that happiness. And the other one is, is just you know, visualizing the goal, where I want to be. So if I visualize what I want to achieve, I tick all these small boxes in life, the things that I, I need them to make sure they're fulfilled so I can focus on business. And then working around people that you enjoy working around. So my team drives me. I love speaking to people. I love achieving things. So I'm not sure if my answer helps, but it's more I'm still trying to understand myself to understand what drives me so I can ensure I maintain it because I don't want to lose that drive. Mm. Um, I hope that helps, Ken. Well, thanks, Mario. Well, Mario, just for the listeners and the listeners, many of you, if you're not new, if you've been around the SOS show for a while, our number one expertise as a company is around helping people create self-awareness. In all the research is clear, Mario, is that you are on this journey of constantly sort of unfolding, peeling the onion back, looking deeper of what are those things that are important to you. And so my encouragement to the listeners is what Mario is sharing here is that our journey for self-discovery and finding out what motivates us, what inspires us, what drives us, is an ongoing process. It's never done. And so, now you're younger, Mario, and I keep saying that, and I uh, just want to acknowledge the amazing amount of success that you've achieved already, but you're constantly and continuously looking at just refining, refining this understanding of self. And it's interesting, the latest research, Mario, is that one of the number one skills of successful people is this, this grounding of self-awareness. They know that they know that they know who they are, or they are constantly looking to refining that, to clarifying that. The other one is, is knowing what doesn't work and what you don't like. So you are going down this banking trail, and you're sitting, well, it might be there, but it's not fulfilling to me. The entrepreneurial track is. So thank you for that story. That's amazing. And I completely agree with you, Ken. I think I'm always learning. I'm always exploring. I'm always you know, seeking the advice of people that are much smarter and much more experienced than I am. And I can't remember who told me this. It's not who you are. It's not who you were in the past. It's who you're becoming because everyone's always becoming. Every day you learn something new. You change in one way or another. And I try to ensure that path is always clear and um, and uh, yeah, learning every day. And, and, I, and I truly mean it. I'm not saying learning for the sake of saying it. I actually try to learn 
every day or whether I was speaking to a psychologist to help me understand how I think or what drives me, for example. So the questions you're asking me, I'll try to give you an answer, but I'll probably go back home today and ask myself the same questions again. <laughs> well, that's great, and I appreciate authenticity on this show is, is requirement, number one, so that's perfect. You know, as the, for all of us to say, okay, well, I've got to completely figure it out, well, we know that that's not true. We're constantly figuring it out. It's an active tense word. So, Mario, you have all these individuals and this, these teams around you. What can you share with the listeners about leadership and what you've learned about leadership and how to successfully inspire and motivate others? Hmm. There's so many different ways to lead. There's no one right way. You can find leaders like Mark Zuckerberg will be very different to leaders like Napoleon. So there's many different ways to do so. The way I lead, and I'm not sure if that would bring value to, to others, but the way I do it is just the energy I have. So I've got a lot of energy and I'm thankful for that. And I try to convey that energy to the team. So I was in Romania, for example, as I said earlier, I think before the interview. And I went there to work with the team, the Romanian team. I have a team there, really cool, I think about 10, 15 people. A great team in Romania. And we're, they're launching a project. They're working on it, should be launching next month. And I go there just to, you know, I invite them all to a cafe. We work together. Just that energy, that, that positive vibe is, is paramount. Then there's also the vision, making sure the vision is clear so they know what goal they're achieving. And then there's the other small things, small boxes you have to tick. Uh, you know, management one-on-one, or dealing with people. How to win friends and influence people is a book. I'm sure everyone's read. But the small things like making people feel appreciated. Um, if it's a good idea, even if it's not your idea, even if it's your idea, <clears throat> make it seem like it was your team's idea. Encourage them. You know, push them on one side, so I'll push my team higher. I can be very demanding. Um, and um, for example, uh, my team member who was organizing this interview, uh, she got the time wrong by 30 minutes. So she put it 30 minutes from now rather than, uh, than the right time. And I, I put her on the spot about this. I say, no, look, you got it wrong. And I told her, because of this small mistake, I have to change X, Y, Z. So I, I put people on the spot, but at the same time, she knows she's being appreciated. And I tell everyone, the day I stop giving you a hard time is the day I've just given up on you being part of the team. Because I don't see you improving. I don't see you grow with the team. Mm. So, so I just gave you, you know, bits and pieces here and there. There's more, of course, if I, if I keep thinking about it. But uh, yeah, yeah, appreciating the team. And, um, and yes, I hope that that's... that's um, some valuable information about the way I manage the team. And I do have people around the world. That's different. So I don't have, I've got a head office in Melbourne, Australia. I haven't been there for five years. And um, I've been traveling and managing my business while traveling for five years. It's just the way I, I don't know, uh, it's normal for me. And whether I'm working in a cafe, working in a cab, that's how I manage my companies and the team. Some people I've never met. The person I work the most closely with is based in, Vegas, I think. I've only seen her twice. Her name is Andrea. We've been working together four and a half years. I've only had dinner with her twice, her and her partner. So um, I, I manage my team very differently, but having those regular calls with them as a team, bringing them together is, uh, is key. And, and most importantly, the last point, Ken, is choose the right people. Take your time to hire. If you have the time, take your time. And then um, you have to fire fast as well. If someone doesn't fit the culture, 
um, don't feel bad to let them go. You're doing yourself and them a favor. Well, um, thank you, Mario, for that. And, and by the way, you're doing very well. So I appreciate all the insights and wisdom that you have already uh, shared with the listeners. I just want to back up one thing around hiring the right people. What are some of the qualities you look for that are important that really have established you know, the high-quality team that you have? I've got many weaknesses, Ken, and one of them is hiring. I, I've hired the wrong people on numerous occasions. Um, so what, what I've done is I've, I've hired a good HR person to take over the hiring for me because I'm not good at hiring. Uh, one thing I've recently started implementing is experience. So you can hire, that's probably the, the, the only you know, golden nugget I can provide, and it's not, the right, it's not the only way of hiring. But the way I do things, I can't remember, I heard it, who that was, a CFO was talking about how he hires for other companies. And he always said, I look for someone that has experience. You pay for a premium, but at the same time, you, you mitigate your risk. Let someone else take the risk with someone that doesn't have the experience. And then when you hire someone with experience, you don't have to go through the process of training them, etc. I'm not saying that's the right way to hire, because I've hired some of my best team members that didn't have experience, including Andrea, who I mentioned earlier. She, she manages uh, every new venture I have. She's by my side. <laughs> I hired her. She was a teacher. And now she's managing team members across the world. So I, now I look for experience when hiring. When you're a startup, you don't have that luxury, and you don't have the money to pay for experience. But if you've got an established company, it just mitigates your risk. You might lose on potential that, has, that doesn't have the experience, but they have a lot of potential. But there's a lot more people that don't have the experience and they take a lot of work and, and they have a high failure rate in the early days. So that's probably the only point that I'm implementing now in my businesses. Checking references is key. Don't trust people when you speak to them when they talk about their experience. You know, say, hey, can you do this? Yes, I can. Great, well, you're hired because you said you can do it. Mm. That's a mistake I've done many times and, and other team members of mine have done it before. When you speak to someone, they're full of energy. They say, yeah, I can do it. I can achieve this. There's no problem at all. They reassure you they can do it. Probably, that's probably the biggest hiring mistake I've made is taking people by their word. Maybe they think they can, but unless they've got experience doing that and references to, um, you know, to confirm they've done a good job, you're taking a risk might turn out well. It's turned out well for me a few times, but uh, many times it doesn't. Well, I hear what you're saying. Uh, proof. Is there evidence that you can do what you say that you can do? Because everybody mm. seems to be quite optimistic on their capabilities. Just to support you, Mario, we teach other companies on how to hire the right person. In many years ago, so uh, eight or nine years ago, we hired an accountant. Two weeks in, she figured out she didn't even understand the word credit and debit properly. I said, what? what? What's that? She has a master's degree in accounting and didn't know basic accounting. So we, we've learned the hard way as well that we make mistakes and errors and said, was there validation that this person can actually do it? So I appreciate um, it. Now, one other uh, comment you said, which is important. Sorry, I just cut you off. What did you, no, what you think? No, no, I, I was going to agree with you. I probably want to learn from you after this interview. And you mentioned a, a, an accounting person hiring the wrong accounting person. That almost crippled through the hiring the, uh, a, a person to do the accounting, the books, uh, that didn't have the experience and no one monitored them because I don't have any accounting experience. So that, that could be a death sentence for a company. 
when it comes to accounting. But sorry to interrupt, Ken. Go ahead. No, no worries. And I think, you know, my encouragement to those people around you, your next statement that you had mentioned a minute ago was around fire fast. And <clears throat> even myself, you know, as a, sm as a smaller company, a team, you know, that's sort of like the size of your Romanian team, a lot of times we give people too much leeway and too much space, the reality that they're not going to improve and we don't fire fast enough. What's your experience there? So being patient and allowing people time to improve. Um, uh, I can't remember where I read this. Just give, him a, you know, give someone another chance. I think it was the GE, the CEO of GE, um, Jack Welch. Right. Um, if they fit the culture, so if they fit the company culture, give them another chance. And if they don't, uh, you know, if they fail to deliver, then let them go. If they don't fit the company culture, don't even bother about giving them a chance. Let them go immediately. So that was Jack Welch's advice, and I try to implement it uh, where I can. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we're coming up to about the last five or eight minutes that we have, Mario, of the show. What do you see for your vision? What, what do you now? First of all, I want to back up because I don't want to lose this thought. And my encouragement to the people around the uh, that are listening to the secrets of success right now. Mary, you're doing something that's becoming more and more apparent is that it is possible to build very successful virtual teams. Anything, any advice there around managing a virtual group and people that are supporting us, contractors, whatever it is, to, that, that would help those of us that are in that space? I built my whole business, all my companies, all the companies that you see on the website, all of them have remote teams. And for me, that was the norm from day one. I, even though I have an office in Australia, I've hired remotely from the, from the start of, of, uh, of Fruity. Um, you know, I can give you tips now, things that we do, using sure. tools like Hubstaff, for example. Not many people like it. I don't know how it works. I don't, I don't, I've never used it myself. But it tracks, and Andrea, the lady I mentioned earlier, she, who works by my side, she's the master of Hubstaff. And she does say that it works incredibly well at spotting people that try to trick the system. Because when people are not working in an office, they don't feel the same responsibility. They're more likely to, to you know, cheat the company, for lack of a better term. Uh, especially when they're just hired. They haven't seen your face. So when you, for example, when you're, when you're bullying someone, cyber bully, you're not seeing a person in face, so it's a lot easier to do. When you're tricking a company, if you're not working in an office, it's a lot easier to do. You have to be careful, hub staff works really well. Uh, but then it goes back to hiring the right person. So if you hire someone that has worked remotely before, has good references, you don't need to worry. We hire very good people. With, I've, I've got trust with most of my team members. We build it over time. So if you hire the right people, if you use tools like Hubstaff um, for when they're first onboarded, I think you'll be fine. And, and don't worry about hiring someone not in your office. Um, I'm trying to implement a strategy of having video calls internally. All internal calls need to be video to put a face behind each mm. person. They do it on and off. Sometimes they do it. And if you've got the money, you know, bring your team together every once in a while. Um, it just it, it does make a big difference when they meet each other in person. Mm. 
Now, Mario, it doesn't, it doesn't make it. Sorry, it doesn't make a difference. Not a big difference. That's. Uh, it doesn't make a big difference, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, if you can't afford to get him to meet in, in person, it's okay. I was having, uh, Mary, just to support you, I was having a coffee with a colleague of mine who I hadn't met in ever six or seven years. He was out from the UK and we had coffee in Vancouver. And so he has a tracking software on every remote person's computer as well. And that just, it's just there to make sure that there are people that are watching and you know and you get a report every day about what this person is doing. It's just the reality of remote work. It's just absolutely, absolutely. And even don't don't even check the reports. You know, just put hot stuff there. The feeling of uh, accountability. They'll, they'll be held accountable just knowing that there's a software there. Their productivity will improve, and they'll be less likely to cheat the system. So mm -hmm. even if you don't check the program, uh, just just put it there for sure, and it will make a difference. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Now, Mario, maybe people want to learn more about you and your companies and everything that you're doing globally. How might they find out more about what you do? What are your websites that they could find out more about you? Sure, I'm, um, I've just started. You know, I, I've never had a, I've never had a Facebook account. I've always been very private, but I'm changing this now. So I'm starting to do more, um, uh, you know, getting my name out there because it helps in business. So I'm going to open a website, MarioNorfel.com. <clears throat> so it's Mario Novel, N for Nelly, A, W for Whiskey, F for Fred, A, L for Larry, dot com. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you go on MarioNovel.com, you'll be able to see my companies as well. Mm. Uh, anything else that you would like to wrap up the show as a tidbit of wisdom, insight, or just something that would be valuable for the listeners, Mario? <laughs> I'll go with a cliche because we didn't talk about that early on, uh, the Nike cliche of just do it. Whatever it is you want to do, just get over these initial hurdles and get started. Even though it's not perfect, um, you probably talk a lot about the lean startup methodology, just get it done. Get an MVP done. Whether it's door knocking, just go out there and knock on the door. Doesn't, if you're not wearing a suit, it's okay. If you don't look good, it's okay. If you don't have a pitch, it's fine. I didn't have a script or any either. Just go out there and do it, and then things will work themselves out and keep doing it. So it is a cliche, but it works tremendously well. Well, Mario, we sure appreciate you taking the time all the way from Dubai to be on. Uh, here we are. Talk about virtual. Talk about virtual teams. I get to interview people all around the world. What a privilege. Thanks for spending your most valuable commodity, your time with us. Not at all, Ken. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I hope that you eventually get back to your head office. Five years since you've been to your head office in Melbourne, Australia, that something doesn't seem right about that. I miss the team, honestly. I call them sometimes and, and, and we laugh about it. And a lot of the same people are still there. Most of them are still there. So I, 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 I want to go back. If Australia wasn't that far, I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, of course, of course. Well, listeners, SOS listeners, uh, Mario Knopfel. And Mario has an inspiring story for you as far as how far he's gone at his age with all the different items that he's gone through. And take his advice. Like, get going. Start doing it, whatever it is. Borrow from somebody else's courage to be able to go to the next level. I thank you for, for you taking your most valuable commodity, your time to listen to SOS. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let others know, leave a positive review on whatever platform that you're listening to. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, 
Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.